This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome, everybody, to Journey of Life number four. As a reminder, we have a way for you to join our WhatsApp group, tinyurl.com forward slash Epstein. Now, tonight's class is a concept that we've touched on in the past. And tonight, I want to unpack this a lot more because I think there's the, I'll call this the standard understanding of this idea which is vatranas, which means sort of giving in or being flexible in your mind or letting things go. Um, but stick around till the end because the the real idea behind vatranas, I believe, is a deep psychological idea. And for those of you who are either like therapists or psychologists or whatever you, you may be, um, I'm interested in hearing your perspective on this idea because I think that vatranas really goes to a very deep core um, psychological element within each person, but I'm not qualified to speak on it. But I, I do think that there's like something very deep behind this idea because we hear this idea, but I want to try to unpack this in my in my own way if we can. Okay. So again, we're based on the Sefer Archas Yasher, which is from Chaim Kanievsky. So Vatronus, what is Vatronus? So I say to you, what does it mean to be Mavater? Okay. So Mavater generally means that a person doesn't let things affect them too much when people do things against them. Right, I think that college classes for probably a few decades was basically that a whole idea was just be mavater and you'll be happy and be mavater and you'll be happy. And I've spoken in the past that you know I think that there's a time and a place to be mavater, but you find a lot of people that are mavater, 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 and then they they're just not happy. They're just not happy in their life. Like they never had a voice, they never spoke up, and uh, if they're mavater too much, they become a shmater. And that was you know what I was I was talking about. I got a lot a lot of people emailed me about that idea, so I want to unpack this a little bit more. This is where we're up to in the Sefer, so let's jump into this. So what does it mean to be Mavater? So Rechaim Kanievsky says that you should know that if you look in all of the Sifri Tanakh, you find that the one who had probably the biggest schus was Rachel Imenu, right? Rachel Mavaka Abeneha. Hashem says ultimately the Geul is going to come about through Rachel. Why? Because we know the famous story, which we're not going to go over over here, that Rachel had the element of Vitor, that her sister did something really through her father, Lavan, and she let it go. She let it slide. She didn't carry around the burden of anger to her sister. And because of that one idea of all the greatness, of all the Nevi'im, of all the Imahis, of all the Avis, of Maish Rabbeinu, of everybody, Hashem says, you carried around this element of Vitor. And Vitor is to me so chashuv, it's so important that you are that one. And we also know, we're not going to get into this right now, the idea that when a person is mavater, they carry with them a kayachabracha, right? Because the natural tendency of a person is that when somebody does something wrong to you, I would call it almost like a self-preservation, is that we feel hurt, we feel pain, and we therefore stand up for ourselves, right? It's a normal, natural reaction. When a person is able to bend that nature, we've spoken about this idea many times in the past, they unlock something in Shemayim, which we've mentioned many times from Reveli Lapian, since you've bent your nature, Hashem says, you now have the kaya habracha to bend nature as well, which is why you find that when somebody gets insulted or somebody says something to them and they don't react, they're able to be mavater like instantly, all of a sudden they're granted this kaya habracha. And the third thing, just in a metaphysical sense, is it's now hours before Rosh Hashanah that a person wants to know like, what is the best way to be zeiche in din. So the same way that a person doesn't judge other people din, din, din. They're allowing things to slide, even though it may be hurtful. Mida, can I get me? Hashem says to you, you allow things to slide, I'll let things slide as well. 
So there's tremendous chosim in this idea of being mavater. And it's a beautiful thing. And a person could and should as much as they can be mavater. So we're not, we're not taking away from that. Okay. Now, like, let's, let's unpack this a little bit more. Okay. So there's a story that he brings over here from Rebetzin Kanievsky, which I knew, I knew the end of the story. I didn't know this part of the story. The story goes that one Friday night, Rebetzin Kanievsky was approached by a woman and she came running over to her and she said, like, my marriage is over. Like, the whole thing is in the dumps. It's, it's over. So she said, she was, like, really tired. And she was like, I stayed up a whole night Thursday night. I was baking and this and that. And I got up very early Friday morning. Like, I'm really tired. Like, maybe you'll come back. And the lady was like, no, no, it's mom. It's like, it's, like, I need to talk to you right this minute. So she gave the lady a few minutes. And the lady explained to her that her husband always ran to visit his sister. And it drove her crazy. It goes to his sister. It drives me crazy. Every time I tell him, don't go, go, don't go, don't go. It drives me crazy. So Rebison Kanievsky said, let's talk about the sister. Why does he feel the need to go there? It turned out that the sister was an almana and she was alone. And her husband, in order to be Mechazek, his sister, used to go visit his sister. So Rebison Kanievsky said, I want to tell you a story of Ravari Levin. Ravari Levin was known as the Tzaddik of Yerushalayim. And when he got married, he, in the Yichud room, it was customary that you'd give the Kala a present. Still customary. I think you get pearls. Yeah. Yeah? No? You don't get pearls anymore? What do you got? Diamonds, Diamonds now? Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's getting more expensive. <laughs> okay, so in those days, I don't know what the present was, okay? <laughs> I would imagine if it went from pearls to diamonds, I don't know what they gave back then, but they gave something, okay? And he turned to her and he said, listen, the truth is, I'm supposed to give you a present. Unfortunately, I have no money and I, I don't have a present to give you. Instead of giving you a present, I'm going to give you a different present that I am going to be Mavater for the rest of our life. That's the present that I'm giving you. And his wife was like stunned. She was like, whoa, that's like the best present I could get. He said, you know what? I also want to give you the same present. I'll also be Mavater for the rest of our life. And the two of them were known that they had the most incredible marriage. The end of the story is that when they were quite elderly, they went to the doctor because... Ravari Levine's wife hurt herself, right? And Ravari Levine sat down and he said, our foot hurts us. That end of the story, which we all know, it started in the Yifid room. It started with this idea. The idea is, is that I'm going to have flexibility of mind, which I think is probably one of the most important elements in marriage. I think that if you're working on it after you're married, you're already too late. It's something that really takes a lot of inner work to get yourself to the point where you're able to let things slide you're able to not be so affected. And the confidence to be able to say to your wife or your husband on day one, I will be Mavater for the rest of our life, that is a person who has serious inner work that has been done before they got married. So that was Ravari Levine, okay? He was able to get himself to the point where he was able to say, no big deal. My, I, I always say, I won't get into the whole detail here, but my probably my best Rebbe I had in elementary school was Rebbe Avi Pearl. It's an incredible, incredible Rebbe. And this is the confidence of a Rebbe. On day number one of yeshiva, he said, guys, I just want to tell you that in this classroom, I will never throw you out. And I was like, what does that mean? He said, I will never throw you out of class. If you're a mechutz, if I can't work with you, so then I'll, then I'll ask you to leave. But other than that, I'm going to work with you. I was blown away by that. That's confidence of a Rebbe. That means no matter what's going on in this classroom, I'm the boss. I got this. Right? Ravari Levine was saying that. Whatever goes on in this house, I got this. I don't have to be like standing on ceremony. I don't have to like 
push myself and pull myself. And I, I think we're building to this idea that there's a lot of ego and confidence that really revolves around this idea of Vitor. So Ravari Levine obviously had enough to be able to say, I'm good. No big deal. So when are you supposed to be a there? So Rechaim Kanievsky says that Vitor, like all other Midas, really has underlying principles. And he says, when it comes to money, person loses money or being stingy with your money, a person should be mavater. Why should you be mavater? Because ultimately, if you have real internal amuna, you recognize that everything comes from Hashem, you'll never lose out. You'll never lose out. It's being mavater when it comes to being free with your money, not spending it just you know, for no reason. But don't be so standing on ceremony. Don't be so tight-fisted with things. So that's number one. The second thing is when somebody says something which hurts you. I was talking about this with my wife, and my wife was saying, this is probably the hardest one. Somebody says something where it's, it slights you, it, it, it bites you, it's the wrong way. Says Rechaim Kanievsky, you should know that almost, almost every time, it's really coming from your ego. Your ego is being bruised. I was remembering, not really very into following sports for like decades and decades already. But when I was a kid, I remember I used to be into whatever. I lived in New York and the Yankees were winning, uh, you know, a lot. So when I was growing up, I remember I remember they had like, you couldn't watch like, you know, compilations of specific type of things like outfielders making a catch or shortstops making a catch. And there was this whole like clip of people getting hit by a pitch, right? So batter gets up and he gets hit by a pitch. Batter gets up, gets hit by a pitch. You could see like from a whole season, like all the people that were hit by a pitch. It's amazing to watch. Let's say you have 200 people throughout the season get hit by a pitch. I don't know how many of the numbers, 200, 500, whatever the number is. Most of the time, you notice they get hit, get hit by a baseball. It's very hard. And it's being thrown by the people who throw it the fastest in the world, right? So ball's going like 100 miles an hour at your head. Okay, it hurts. And you see these guys get clunked one after the next after the next. And most of them stand up and they just go to first base and that's it. You're hit by pitch, you take first base. Some batters, multimillionaires, they train their entire lives for this moment, right? To be in the major leagues. Some batters, when they get hit, they jump up and they charge the pitcher's mound and they start a massive brawl. And I was asking myself, I was like, what's the difference between the guys that stand up, they walk to first base, no big deal. And the people who get clunked and then they jump up and they run to they run to the pitcher's mound. Everyone comes running out of the dugouts and it creates this whole massive role. What's the difference? They started looking at the pitchers. If you notice the pitchers, in almost every situation where a guy charges the pitcher's mound, the pitcher makes a small gesture, very, very slight, where he's either taunting or he's he's like, eh, or he'll point to his head and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that hurt, yeah. Like, in a way where he's just trying to get under the skin of the batter, and that makes the guy totally lose it. And it's amazing where the exact same thing happens to hundreds of people every season, and the few that react crazy, it's because their ego got bruised. Nothing to do with what happened. The guy lost control of the ball, the ball hit him in the head. It's the fact that somebody insulted me, a drop, I'm willing to lose playing the rest of the season. My team can lose the playoffs, lose the World Series, there's literally like $300 million of salary in this team invested. There's 50,000 people a night coming out night after night for 162 games so that you will win the World Series. And you're willing to risk all of that because a guy made a little gesture. He got underneath your skin. When people do things to us that are hurtful, of course it's hurtful. There's no question about that. We're human beings. We have to acknowledge that there's hurt. 
But the idea of being mavater is what are you doing now? What is your reaction now? What are you doing about the fact that you're hurt? And in a healthy individual, I would argue that Chazal are, the Torah is health. The Torah is emotional health. It's mental health. It's physical health. In a healthy person, a healthy person says, yes, I'm hurt. Now what? Now I destroy my home. Now I destroy my marriage. Now I become that person who shows up to work and just doesn't stop going on and on and on about all the negativity in the world. And they looked at me like this and they said something like this. They didn't come over to me like that. They did comment on this. They didn't comment on that. They looked at my dress. They didn't look at my dress. Everything becomes like a whole to do. Those people become the heaviest, heaviest people. Nobody wants to associate with those people. Vitor is an internal confidence where you don't allow your bruised ego, which is bruised. It is bruised to dictate the reaction that you have based on somebody else saying something. That is the idea of being Mavater. It's a very deep, deep Mida. It's a Mida where you recognize, yes, I'm hurt. It's true I'm hurt. But now what happens? Now I'm going to rise above and I'm going to be the person that's able to not let this affect my reaction to this person. I think that with almost every couple that I sit with, I always say like, I, I always, I talk about this a lot, right? That I, I take my paper, I fold it in half and I have his side, her side, and then the bottom is, is the truth. And I can tell you how a lot of times when I listen to people tell me stories, in my mind, it's always a question of story or non-story. Story or non-story. That should be the topic that we put on tour anytime. Is this. We always struggle for the topic. It's probably the hardest part of the share is figuring out what we call the title. Story or non-story. And I can tell you that so many, so many times I'm listening to people talk and I'm like, you're saying something which is, it's legitimate. It's a valid gripe. It's a concern. It's, it's something. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not. But the reaction to this, the buildup from this, the heaviness from this, it's just not worth what's going on inside your home. The idea of being Mavatar to me is not that you don't have a voice. It's not that you can't see something. It's not that you can't, that you have to be like Revire Levine, that you have absolutely no ego whatsoever and you're you're super confident and like you tell your spouse you tell your your workmates you tell everybody from the beginning nothing's gonna affect me you have to be on such a high level to be able to say those words you can't just say that you know at the drop of a hat it doesn't work that way the idea of being levater is that i'm gonna work on myself that yeah it hurt me yeah they were insensitive okay could we move on now like it's more important that our relationship survives this right isn't that more important? It's more important that people like spending time with me. Isn't that more important? Think about like the important things in life versus this story. And that I believe is the key to being Mavatar. Being Mavatar is not that you don't allow it to affect you. It's Adra, but you allow it to affect you in the healthiest way possible. You're like, ouch, that hurt. But it's such a non-story because it's just a small little nothing. It's just a little gesture. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna risk the whole season on somebody somebody making a gesture at me. You're a ball player, you literally spent your entire formative years doing nothing but play ball, and you just threw away a whole season, hundreds of millions of dollars flushed because somebody made a little gesture at you. That reaction, that lack of confidence, or letting your ego get bruised, that I believe is the antithesis of being Mavatar. So being Mavatar has a place and it has tremendous chasm. But it's it's not in every single circumstance. When is there time not to be mavater? So says Rechaim Kanievsky, there's a few times that a person should not be mavater. And let's go through those slowly, okay? Number one is, if somebody's doing something 
which is like, you know, they're coming against you. They're like stealing from you. They're doing something which is really painful. A person has a chiv to protect themselves, to protect their money. You don't just like allow everything to just go to waste. We don't throw away businesses. We don't throw away money. We don't throw away family. A person has to stand up and sometimes feel the hurt and allow the hurt. And I would argue here, this is not coming from an ego place. This is coming from a, a neshama place, right? Yaakov Avinu ran back. He, he saved Pachem Ketanim. Why? Because we don't just throw things away for no reason. Sometimes you'll, you have to stand up for a principle when somebody's doing something which is against you, you have to protect yourself. The second thing is if whatever happened is going to really, really, really bother you, you're going to be walking around carrying a burden. The Rishenim say that the mitzvah of that a person should not carry around hatred for somebody else in their heart. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to confront them. You're supposed to say, I'm sorry, you should know you said something it was very hurtful. That mitzvah, the Rishenim explained, is because if a person does not do that, it festers inside of them and it gets to a point, the Rishenim say, where a person can literally get to a point where he's ready to kill somebody. And that's not meta- metaphorically speaking. So you could get yourself to the point because you didn't like work through this emotion in a healthy way, you should know you can get yourself to that point. I was once dealing with a couple where one party was doing things and saying things in writing that were so shocking. And I don't even want to say unethical, like really like illegal, like dangerous, like really, really off the deep end. And at one point I realized like this person's not even hearing what's going on. Like they're so caught up in this mouth like this. It, it, it's like, I called the person and I said, I, I just want to tell you the things that you're doing, the things that you're saying, you're literally going to end up in prison. These, these are not like small, like threats and things like that. These are things that are, are really like, you're going to get yourself in serious trouble, like criminal trouble, you know, trouble for what you're doing. And this person said to me, they said, I'll be very honest with you. I, I have no idea who I am right now. I'm looking in the mirror. I don't recognize that person. I just have no, I've gone so far off the deep end. I've allowed this machlek to just spiral so far. I don't even know who I am right now. So I said, I'm, I'm telling you, you, you need to just take a few weeks and just get back to your normal self. And then you'll continue dealing with whatever you need to deal with. The concept of not dealing with something, allowing it to pull you and pull you and pull you. And then you, re- you realize that you're too deep in. That's the antithesis. A person has to go ahead and, and work through these emotions so that they don't get themselves to a point where it just grows inside of them. And then the third thing is the idea of halacha. Says Rechaim Kanievsky, a person should know that if a person is deviating from halacha, that is not for us to be mavater. Halacha is not ours to be mavater. We are not in charge of halacha to say, oh, you want to just do this? Okay, no big deal. No, halacha is halacha. This is set by Chazal, set by Hashem. And a person should be bothered by halacha. Now, what does this mean? So I was talking this out with my wife. What does it mean to be bothered by halacha? When, meaning when somebody doesn't keep halacha. So I think that the idea here is not that you're going to say something. There are certain times where the midah, I'll call it, or the idea calls for you to say something. Somebody's doing something against you. You're not able to work it through. You want to talk it out with them. By all means, go ahead. That's the idea. It's an external and an internal thing. I internally feel something. Now it propels me or compels me to go talk this out with them. But many times... This has nothing to do with external. This is an internal mida. Somebody is doing something that is kineged halacha. That should bother us. That should bother us. A lot of times we look around the world and we see like things that are wrong within our call it our system, and people are so vocal about that. But then I'll say to them, "But what about the things that are that are kineged halacha? The things that you're watching or you're seeing that are not okay? Why doesn't that bother you as much as 
the things that do bother you. We have to make sure that, that our, our emotions, the things that irk us, that those things are in line with halacha. There's a beautiful story that I saw. The Rizna was talking to his chassidim. And he told them, he said, you know, many of you see that there are certain rebels that get up late in the day. They get up late and they go to Davin. And he said, the reason is because the rebels, they go through this like internal avayda the whole morning that by the time they get around to davening, it's much later in the day. And that's when they daven. He said, but that's fine. Why? Because he gave a mashal. He said, a regular guy comes home every day and his wife gives him every night a bowl of beans. That's what she serves him. One night he comes home and his wife turns to him and says, you know, tonight, I'm sorry, um, supper's not ready. Be in the kitchen. I'll be working. So his wife's in the kitchen. She's cooking, she's cooking. The guy's sitting there and he's thinking to himself like, wow, tonight's going to be something else. Like a half hour goes by, hour goes by, and he's like, I, I, I can't wait. Like, it's going to be like a feast, right? Finally, after two hours, his wife comes out and she puts down a bowl of beans. <laughs> so the original says, wow, you serious? I waited two hours for that? If you're going to come out of the kitchen after two hours, at least make something that's worthwhile. So he says, a regular person gets up in the morning and he davens. So Hashem says, okay, that's the bowl of beans. It's very nice. But when certain people daven, it's like on such a high level, Hashem says, ah, this feast was worth the wait. So the story goes that as Hasidim, they left and they, they stopped in a certain inn and they were talking about this marshal. They were saying, oh, you heard the, the, the story that the Rebbe said? And there was a simple guy there who was in the inn and he heard them talking and he said, you know, guys, I, I'm, I'm listening to the story. He says, the story doesn't sit very well with me. I said, why not? He said, because if me and my wife, if, if we're good, like if we have a good marriage, then I wouldn't get angry at her, even if she came out after two hours with beans. Like, great. I'm so grateful. She came out. She made supper. She must have been running late. It must have been hard for her. Like, why would I get upset? Just because I had my expectations that got hurt? No. Beans is beans. Beans is supper. That's what you get every night. So the Hasidim were like, wow, it's a very good taina. So they ran back to the, <laughs> to the Rebbe and they said to him, you know, this, this simple guy just had a good taina on your story. And they told over to the original, they said, this is the story. He said, you know, Hashem, if Hashem loves us, if we love Hashem, if we're so close to Hashem, then Hashem, you know, will look past the fact that we get up a little bit later. The original smiled and he said, wow. He said, this man was put into this world just for this story, just for him to come along and correct me. He said, he's 100% right. If a person has a good relationship with Hashem, you should know everything is chavav to Hashem. Everything is beloved to Hashem. And it's so beautiful. He was able to, allow himself to be considered wrong. He said, but Rabbi Isai, not if it comes against halacha. You have to make sure that the zmanim or zmanim, there's no such thing as being spiritual, but not keeping basic halacha. So if a person sees something, and I, I see this all the time, where people are in, a, are in a situation where they're so spiritual, they're talking about, but the basic, the basic foundations of halacha are not kept, Rabbi Berkowitz always says, that means that that person's relationship is somewhat off. It's like a person's very well-meaning, but you just don't realize you're constantly hurting the people around you. You might mean very well. You might be very dialed in to a degree to the relationship, but halacha is halacha is halacha. And I just want to say that I think that the idea of not being mavater, what Rukhaim Knievsky is talking about, does not mean that you stand up and take a macha against everything. You make a macha against everything. It's that you allow yourself to just say, this is wrong. This is wrong. My my 
internal moral compass has to be pointed directly north. And then the last idea that Rukhaim talks about, and then one more idea that I want to talk about. The last idea Rukhaim talks about is the idea of marriage. Okay, He says when it comes to marriage, there's many times that a person should not be mavater. What does that mean? Right? Everybody knows marriage is the only time you're supposed to be mavater, right? No. What does that mean? Rukhaim says that you should know that in a home, generally, the Gemara talks about how certain elements of the home are the wife's domain. She's the one who's in charge of those things. And she shouldn't flippantly give those things up to her husband. She's the one who's in charge. She should stay in charge. There are other parts of the home where the husband is, I'll call it, quote unquote, in charge. And therefore, he should be the one who should take charge of those things. But says Rukhaim Kanievsky that a couple where there's domineering personalities, where people are not, you know, like, what is the balance of a home? What is the balance of a marriage? If you, if you think about it, right? The Gemara says that a husband is supposed to be he's supposed to be his wife more than himself, right? And the Rabbim talks about how a wife is supposed to hold her husband up like he's like a melech. A home where you have those two elements, it's beautiful. But when one person is telling the other person that they need to be there, that's not okay. And Rechaim says, in such a case, obviously a person should seek guidance and make sure that they work this out with somebody who's able to tell them who should be Mavatar and who should not be Mavatar. But this idea, and I want to just circle back on this, we started talking about, that a person should just, as a blanket rule, just let everything slide through their life. That's, that's false. It's wrong. People end up being very, very hurt. They end up being very trampled. And those people end up, after a while, being extremely resentful within their relationships. So here's the last part of this that I want to talk about, where I think goes down to probably like one of the deepest parts. Again, if you're if you're licensed over here, I'd love to hear your opinion. Okay. The essence of being Mavatar. So a lot of times when I sit with people, I hear them tell me about their spouse that this person's a narcissist. I hear the word narcissist thrown around a lot. Like, oh, this guy's a narcissist. He's a narcissist. Everything revolves around them. Now, again, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not licensed in any in any capacity. But I, I just saw somebody was talking about this idea and they were saying that where does narcissism come from? And they, they gave a, a marshal. They said that imagine you took a person and they took a hammer and they smashed their thumb with a hammer, right? That person's going to experience a lot of pain. At that moment in time, okay, the person becomes extremely self-centered because they're in pain right now. So the only thing they can think about is like, oh my gosh, my hand, right? They're going to run through the house and be like, call a doctor, call the hospital, call Atsala, right? Get in the car. They're going to start bossing everybody around. Like, you get in the car, grab, grab my phone, call 911, right? They're not going to sit there and be like, I'm so sorry you had to witness that. That must have been so painful for you, right? They're not going to do that. They're in so much pain right now that the only thing they can think about is their pain and getting relief for their pain. And therefore, this person was explaining. That people who go through childhood traumas or other traumas in their life, it's no different, the emotional pain from the physical pain. And therefore, those people, they only learn to self-soothe with the people around them. It's almost like everybody becomes about me feeling soothed. So the same way the person's bossing everybody around, grab the car keys, grab my phone, call 911, tell the hospital to be ready for me. In, a, in, a, in an emotional way, that's what's going on as well. And I think that the key element without diagnosing anybody the key element of vitor is the idea of not being a heavy person it's the idea of not 
allowing the heaviness of the world to be carried in your backpack. We all walk around life. We have our perspectives on everything that goes on. Healthy people are able to allow the negativities of the world not to affect them. As heavy as somebody who feels that they have to walk down the street and pick up all the negative viewpoints on the world, all the negative things that are happening in the world, repeat it and repeat it and rehash it and go over it again and again and again at work and at home and talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. Usually somebody who grows up in a, in a, in a healthy environment, they don't have the need to constantly be rehashing all the negativities. They're allowing, they, they allow the negativities to flow through them healthy. Yes, this is good. This is bad. This bothers me. This doesn't bother me. And weiter, like weiter, weiter. You move weiter. You just go to the next thing in your life. To be mevater means to go weiter. It means to go further in your life without allowing this story or non-story to become the story, the element. If you're going on and on and on, it's, I'm not diagnosing anybody that they're narcissists and don't quote me that your spouse is a narcissist or your parents or whoever is a narcissist. But the element, if you want to call it, of narcissism is because a person is in pain and they therefore don't have the ability to see outside of themselves to a degree, the idea of Vitor is the ability to have confidence, to have real amuna, to have the ability to let life be easy, let life be, be smooth. And obviously, sometimes we have to ask the Shaila when we should let something go. But I would argue that in a certain sense, the idea of Vitor is really an Avaida. It's not something that most people are able to flip a switch on. But having the, 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 the awareness that your reaction right now is being caused by you being slighted or hurt. And the reaction is oftentimes going to cause the situation to, to be worse than what it was before. That in many senses is the idea of Vitor. Meaning to say that Vitor is not something where you just say, okay, okay, it didn't happen. Okay, no, 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 it did happen. And you process it and then you allow yourself to go through. So once again, what is being Mavatar? Being Mavatar means allowing yourself to be confident. It allows yourself to know when should I stand up for something? And when should I say, this is a process that I have to go through in order to get over this. I only have so much room in my duffel bag that I could walk around life. I can't walk around with a thousand pounds on my back. So yeah, something bothers me, fine. I process it a day or two and I move on. If it's really heavy, I got to confront the person. No problem. I'm being hurt. I'm being affected. I'm being threatened. I really have to take a stand on certain things. Certain things I have to internally feel, wow, this is wrong, but not to say something about it. And in a relationship, to make sure that there's a real balance within that relationship. But if a person's walking around and all their thoughts and all their emotions constantly come back to negativity, 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 that person has to sit down and recalibrate and say to themselves, where is my underlying trauma? It's not allowing me to just unburden myself. Why do I constantly allow the negativity to surround myself? And if a person is in such a situation, they would be very wise to speak to somebody to allow themselves to unburden themselves from that heavy package. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.